Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. And we would like to continue our series entitled, The Hour of Decision. The Hour of Decision. As I shared with you before, the more authoritative voice of the Lord came unto me saying, The hour is at hand throughout all the land that a decision must be made. And as I pursued the move of the Spirit upon me at that hour, by revelation and spiritual perception, I was instructed of the Lord to issue a warning both to the righteous and to the unrighteous. And we've already issued that warning unto the unrighteous, and now we are in the process of issuing a warning to the righteous. And so we began talking to the righteous about the fact that we cannot escape the storm of physical death. No matter who we are, should Jesus tarry, we will not escape. We will not escape the storm of physical death. You know, sometimes we don't think about that. We don't think about that like we should. Why are we living here upon this earth? Our life is but a vapor. It appears for a little while. It vanishes away. But what we do in that little while, my brother and my sister, will determine our eternal destiny. The things that we are caught up in and with, even at this hour, in our lives. So many things we don't realize or recognize will affect our eternity. And we can get so caught up in walking around this realm in which we live, in darkness, that we neglect to perform our functions and duties and obligations unto the Lord as we should. So I've been instructed of the Lord to issue a warning unto the righteous also to let us know that the storm of physical death is coming to each and every one of us. Consequently, we must make preparation. The Bible says it's a point on demand wants to die after this, the judgment. There's no second chance after physical death comes. So let's look into the Spirit of our God in prayer before we get into His Holy Word, the Word that He has anointed. And let's believe for receptive hearts, attentive ears, and open minds. And as an act of our will, let us set ourselves to receive from that which He would have to say to us this morning. Our Father, we look to You. Our eyes are focused on Thee. We give thanks to You for Your precious written word, knowing that we can trust our lives to its provisions. Thank you also for the teaching ministry of the Holy Ghost who will guide us and teach us in all the truth, that we may know the truth to make us free. I thank you, dear Father, for attentive ears, receptive hearts, and open minds. As, is, as an act of our will, we set ourselves to receive from your Holy Word and I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth of your Word in demonstration of the Spirit of power that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
1 John chapter 5 and verse 16 says, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. I want you to notice it says here that there is a sin unto death. Now some think that's talking about physical death, but it can't. If it was talking about physical death, then what is the sin that you could commit not unto death? You mean you can commit a sin that will keep you alive forever? I hardly think so. It's talking about the sin unto death, eternal death, separation from God. And so for that reason, we've been talking to, first and foremost, the willful offender in the body of Christ. And we've defined the willful offender as one who turns away from his righteousness to pursue a life or a course of sin and self-gratification. And we stated the fact that if one turns away, he is in danger of falling away. He has turned away and he's not walking on the course of righteousness. He has left that course to pursue a life of sin and self-gratification. It's not too late for the willful offender to turn back. He still can turn back. But the further out he gets, the further away from God he gets. The further, further out he gets in his own plans and purposes, the further away he gets from the Father's plans and purposes for his life. And you know, the further away you get from your destination, the harder it is to get back to where you should be. Did you know that? If you need to be traveling north and you keep traveling south, I think common sense just tells you just to wake up and turn around. If you're traveling west and you should be traveling east, Wake up. Stop. Turn around. Go the other way. See, it's not too late. And it doesn't matter how far you've gotten into sin and how far away you've gotten from God. There is still time for the willful offender to turn around and come back to God. And the warning is, is being given out. Why? So that they can be warned to turn back before it's too late and they fall away. See, one who turns away is on a course of destruction. And it has only one end. We said the end was perdition, separation from God. And I've been talking about that at length, and I, I need, I've been instructed of the Lord to stop, and I'm just going to stop right here. But let me just conclude it by giving, saying this. The willful offender or sinner must turn. He must turn back to God by repenting and getting off the course of sin and self-gratification before it's too late and he falls away. Because if he falls away, then, now please listen, then and only then is it impossible to renew that person unto repentance. So if one has not fallen away, he still can be renewed to repentance. But if he has fallen away, it is too late. Now we have to bring some understanding here because you see, we don't want to miss out on this. We don't want to misunderstand or misinterpret this. You see somebody who's living in sin. And maybe you've given up on that person. And you think, well, he must never have been a Christian ever. Or he can't possibly be a Christian. But yet he is. The prodigal son was still the prodigal son, still the son of the father, even though he did live a life of sin and self-gratification. And he got to a point or to a place in his life that a decision had to be made. And when he came to that place, when he came to that point in his life, the Bible says he came to himself. 
He came to his senses and he stopped right there, deep in sin, deep in sin, deep, and, and away from the plan and purpose of the Father. Do you see that? But he was at a point that he was going to fall away if he didn't decide to turn back, repent, change his course of action. And when he came to himself, he did repent. He says, I've sinned against heaven, sinned against my Father. I'm not worthy to be called his son. And the statement's true. But I'll go back to him, he said. I'll tell him, I'm not worthy. Forgive me. I'll just be like a servant. As deep as he was in sin and as far he had gotten away, he was like right there at the bridge. See, the bridge is out. The warnings were posted along the road. He's about to fall off. Because once you fall, my brother and sister, please take heed. Once you fall, you don't even pray for that person any longer. Why? Because it's impossible to renew that person to repentance. That's called the sin unto death. That's called the sin unto death. So you see, that one you might be praying for is not fallen away, but has turned away and is pursuing a life of sin. But you know what? You may be sent to that person to warn that person before he falls away. Because if he falls away, it is impossible. Why is it impossible? The Scriptures in Hebrews chapter 6 said, because they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and they put Him to an open shame. And if you commit that sin, you fall away, you crucify to yourself the Lord Jesus Christ, and the only way you can then be saved would be if Jesus came back to the earth once again and died for your sins once again. And Jesus is not about to do that. He will never do that again. So once again, let's conclude by saying this. The willful offender must turn from his life of sin and self-gratification back to God, get on the course of righteousness before he falls away. Because if he falls away, it's impossible to renew him to repentance because he's crucified to himself the Son of God. Made the, the blood, the count of the blood, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and he did it despite the Spirit of grace. So you see, it's impossible then. So that's why we've got, to, we've got to give that warning out. You say, when does this actually happen? Well, that's a good question. And we, of course, have a, a, a scriptural answer here. But I think an easy way to say it is just to say it like this. When that person meets the criteria of Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, he's been enlightened, he's tasted of the heavenly gift, He's made a partaker of the Holy Ghost, the good Word of God, and powers of the world to come. If he has gone that far in God and then falls away, not turns away, falls away, then it's impossible. How does it happen? That's when it happens. How does it happen? Here's how it happens. It's not because of the sin that he's in. Because if he would ask God to forgive him for the adultery, if he asked God to forgive him for the fornication, God would. But here's when it happens. When that person says from his heart, I don't want God in my life anymore. I don't want Jesus Christ in my life anymore. I'm enjoying this. You see, they're brought to a point of decision, a place of decision. And they decide they'd rather have the sin than they'd rather have Jesus Christ as Lord over their lives. And so when that point comes, when that place comes, then they must decide... They're like backed up to a wall. Now, choose. What do you want? You want Jesus Christ or do you want your sin? 
And if they say, I enjoy this life of sin, I'd rather have that. Then, now note this, the same heart confession of faith that produced the new birth in that person's life, the same heart confession of faith, you believe from your heart, you say with your mouth, that produced the new birth is the same action that produces what John called the sin unto death by the confession of the heart and of the mouth that person says, I'd rather have this than God. And when that person says that here, not out of anger, not out of passion. But you see, they're brought to a point of decision. They've come to that place in their Christian experience because of the life of sin and self-gratification. When God finally reaches that person and says, look, you've got to decide. And that person says, I like this. I'm not going to do anything about following you any longer. When that person says that from his heart, from her heart, then the same action that produced the new birth is the same action that produces what John calls right here. Now, notice the latter part of this verse. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Why not pray for it? It's impossible for that person to be renewed to repentance because what he just did was took upon himself for the second time the life and nature of Satan. If, if, if I can use... These terms, let's just say he was unborn again. Is that understood by all? So if you have a loved one who's deep in sin, you know he was born again, you know she was born again, but they're deep in sin, it's still not too late. It's too late when they fall away. Once they've fallen away, every step, it's too late then. So before they fall away, every measure, every step should be taken to reach that person. And that's why last week we talked about Something that I think the church is just so unaware of and so uninformed about. And that is, how do you turn someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord? See, here's a practice in the body of Christ in the church that is, like I said, when it comes to the knowledge of believers today, we have little knowledge of. It is a spiritual something. Remember we talked about spiritual sacrifices, spiritual things. We are an holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. There are spiritual things we're to be involved in. This is a spiritual something. Not someone that you know started sinning and doing this and doing that. So I'm going to turn him over to Satan immediately. You're doing that. No, that's not what it is. That, and first of all, those are not the proper steps. That's not the proper step to take first. The first thing you do is you go to that person by yourself. Second thing you do is take another brother with you. The third thing is you take the church. And if they won't hear you then... Then you've got to stay before God and seek, seek the Father as to what you should do. You can intercede, stay in intercession for that person. But if you know inside your heart that there's no other step, you know inside your heart by the Spirit of God that this is the only step that I can possibly take now, then you have to turn that person over. Now, are you ready for this? To turn that person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh means you withdraw all fellowship, you withdraw all prayer, and you turn that person or surrender that person over to Satan. You know why this is so hard to do? Because can you imagine a loved one of yours turned over to Satan so that body can be destroyed? That Corinthian offender committing a fornication with his stepmother was turned over or surrendered up or given up over unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh because, you see, his flesh was involved in that fornication. And so consequently, when the, the body is turned over, he can't commit fornication any longer, but still he's not repented. See, you don't repent just because uh, your flesh is turned over. 
if the turning over of his flesh to Satan didn't bring or produce repentance in that person's life, he'd be eternally lost. But that Corinthian offender, 1 Corinthians in, you know, chapter 5, was turned over. It took a while because, you see, it was working within him. It took a while, but finally he came to his senses and repented and came back to God and got on the right course. And in 2 Corinthians, we find the person being brought back into the church, reinstated back in the church in true fellowship. But you see, my brother and sister, we can't let it go on like that. And we can't pretend as if we support what that person is doing and surround that person with prayer that way. That's why I believe for the most part, many, many times we fail to reach people. Who would ever think that prayer would uh, prevent us from reaching people? You know, some people can only be reached that way. It's like the last resort. And they won't be reached by anything you say or do, even the lifestyle that you live. In other words, they won't see any other light. So they've got to be turned over to Satan to destroy the flesh. What would you rather have? A whole body and go to hell? Or parts of your body removed and go to heaven? Didn't Jesus say it would be better for you to cut off your hand if it offends? Didn't he say that? It'd be better for you to, to cut off one of your body parts if they offend? and enter into life maimed than it would be to enter into the lake of fire where their worm dieth not and the fire shall never be quenched whole. That's what he said in Mark chapter 9. So what is the destiny of this willful offender if he chooses not to repent and come back to God and then falls away? He'll be banished from the presence of the Most High God throughout eternity. He'll be sentenced to the lake of fire where the worm dieth not, and the fire shall never be quenched. We'll spend eternity in damnation. He's drawn back to perdition. Now, once again, these messages are not meant to produce condemnation, but they are meant to produce godly fear, reverence. And my brother and sister, I believe they are. And I believe it's time that, that the body of Christ wake up to righteousness and sin not and reverence the deep things of God and walk quietly and humbly and holy before a holy God. I think it's time, I know it's time that the hour has come unto us that we must make a decision to walk holy before a holy God and allow the consuming fire of His holiness to burn up the chaff on our lives here. Amen. If you think hellfire is bad... My goodness, get before the presence of a holy God. He'll burn up all the chaff. Amen. I'd rather suffer that, though, I'll tell you right now, than suffer eternal damnation. I'd rather suffer that burning right now than suffer that burning after, wouldn't you? Glory to God. Well, the end of that person is damnation, perdition. It would have been better for that person to remove offending body members than it would be to cast, be cast into the lake of fire. The warning has been issued. My heart's desire is that people who are living a life of sin and self-gratification turn from that course and come back to God. Get on the course of righteousness and begin following His plan and purpose for your life. And we've got much to say about that. Now, what I want you to do with me, hold this thought here in 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. Notice it says, if any man see a brother sin a sin which is not unto death. Notice it says, not unto death. Because here's where much confusion has come. Much confusion has come. Christians can commit sins that are not unto death. Matter of fact, you better thank your God that you can commit sins that are not unto spiritual death. 
Because if every sin had the sentence of spiritual death, how many of you would be in hell? If since you've been born again, if every sin had the sentence of spiritual death, we'd all be there. Let's remember that there's only one sin that sends one to hell, and that is the sin of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And once you become a Christian, you made a decision, of course, to accept the plan and purpose of God. You can still turn away and walk away from it. And when you do that, you'll be on the wrong course that leads to perdition, and you'll be brought to a place of decision. When you get to the place of decision, you're either going to turn back to God or you're going to say no to God from your heart and mouth. And once you do that, if you say yes and come back, He'll have mercy on you, and you'll be reinstated in fellowship, and of course, you'll go on with Him. But if you say no, you can get to the point of falling away from God, and there's no way to get, ever get back again, and that leads to damnation. Now, that's on that side. Now, let's come on this side. Let's talk about the sin that's not unto death. Because really, that's what we should be addressing more than anything else. Because I, I would say most believers fall into this category or classification right here. Committing the sins that are not unto death. Not unto eternal separation from God. But sins that will affect our lives now and throughout eternity. And we want to know how to avoid, of course, committing those sins. So go with me to Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. I had no idea, my brother and my sister, this is lesson number eight, I had no idea when that one sentence came to me by the Spirit of God that I'd be teaching eight lessons already on that one statement. But you know, when the Spirit of God gives you something, you see why God, by His Spirit, can only say so much to us? Because, I mean, one statement that He makes is power-packed, filled with and full of all, my goodness, all kinds of things. <clears throat> one statement. He can give you a curriculum, I mean, for a lifetime. Second Chronicles, chapter 29. And we want to look at another class among the righteous. Write it down. This other class we'll look at is the neglector. The willful offender, we said, if he does not turn back to God, if he does not turn back to God, then he'll be brought to a point of decision. His hour of decision has come. And if he doesn't turn back and he says no to God, he'll fall away. And it's impossible for that person to ever come back to God. Now, in Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, maybe we should read a, a lot more than that, but you could read that on your own. We're just going to look at this because we want to get right into what God is, is speaking to my heart. My sons, be not now, everyone say with me, negligent. For the Lord hath chosen you to stand before Him, now notice, to serve Him, and that you should minister unto Him and burn incense. Let's, let's see it again. My sons, be not now, everyone say with me, negligent. For the Lord hath chosen you to stand before Him, now notice, to serve Him, that you should minister unto Him and burn incense. Hezekiah, of course, in his reign, 25 years old, the very beginning, was to restore true sacrifice and temple worship. That was a part of the first part of his major responsibilities as king. And he gets a hold of the Levites 
and he talks to them and he says, Now look, we've been doing things wrong. Things haven't even been done. But you've been called out for a purpose. You've been chosen or selected for a purpose and you've been negligent. You're not supposed to be negligent. You've been called or chosen by God to stand before him. And here is the reason or the purpose for your righteousness or your standing with God. Here's why God puts you in right standing with him. You're to stand before him to serve him, to minister to him. Now notice burn incense actually means to offer sacrifice unto him. We've been talking much about restoring the temple, haven't we? We've been talking much about rebuilding the house of God, haven't we? And so you see, there are some things that have to be torn down, strongholds that have to be pulled down before we can do any rebuilding or any restoration can be done. And we've talked about hard attitudes, motives, and desires of people that have got to be changed. See, pull down certain things so that restoration can take place and true or proper heart motives, attitudes, and desires can be rebuilt within the life and heart of the believer so that the plan and purpose of God can be accomplished or wrought among us as we meet together as the house of God or as the temple of God. So you see, my brother and sister, there are some things we know we're going to be told that we shouldn't be doing, but there are also some things that we should be doing, and if we're not doing those things, then we are being negligent. Or we are neglecting the very purpose for which God has set us apart unto Himself. Now, I want to once again state this fact. These messages are not meant to produce condemnation. For Jesus did not come to condemn the world. Who is He that condemneth? It's not the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the Father God. No. He came to give us life in abundance not to condemn or bring condemnation upon us. But there is a difference, a vast difference, between condemnation and reverential fear and conviction. And if some things that are being said do something on the inside of us, determine whether or not it's condemnation that is produced by the devil putting something on you or if it is the condemnation that comes from the conviction of our spirits when we hear of things we should be doing that we are not doing in our lives and experiences as Christians. Because didn't First John chapter 3 say, if your heart condemn you, if your heart condemn you, God is greater than your heart. And it means conviction. See? So there will be things that will be said that will invariably bring upon our hearts conviction. Once again, conviction is not necessarily condemnation. It is only our spirits pricking us, letting us know that there are certain things that need to be done that we've been neglecting in our lifestyles as Christians. And so let's keep that thought in mind as we look into the lifestyle of the neglector. And before we define him, let's define some certain words. If you're taking notes, to neglect, write it down. To neglect means to omit performance of, to omit performance of, to fail to give proper attention to, to fail to give proper attention to, 
some duty or obligation. To neglect. To neglect means to omit performance of or to fail to give proper attention to some duty or obligation. Secondly, omit means, these are definitions that will help us understand the neglector. To omit means apathy toward, apathy toward, it just means disinterest or unconcerned. Apathy toward or neglect of duty. Something neglected or left undone. See, not something that you did, something that you didn't do. Apathy toward or neglect of duty. Something neglected or left undone. And thirdly, very important, we make note of this. Disregard. Disregard means to neglect intentionally. Disregard means to neglect intentionally. The neglector is one who omits performance of certain spiritual duties. One who omits performance of certain spiritual duties or obligations by failing to give proper attention to them intentionally or unintentionally. The neglector is one who omits performance of certain spiritual duties or obligations by failing to give proper attention to them intentionally or unintentionally. Now turn with me. Well, hold your place. If you've got a bookmarker there, put your bookmarker right there in Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, and go with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. When we were born again and washed in the blood of the Lamb, the Bible says we were made what? Kings and priests unto our God. How many of you know that? Say, I'm a king. Say, I'm a priest. Unto my God and Father by virtue of the new birth. I belong to God. I no longer belong to myself. For I'm a child of the king. Well, since we've been made kings and priests unto God, and we no longer belong to, to ourselves, but we belong unto God, as key kings and as priests unto our God, it is our responsibility to perform certain functions, duties, and obligations. As kings and priests of the Most High God, by virtue of the new birth, being washed in the blood of the Lamb, our responsibility is to perform certain functions, duties, and obligations. You see, along with title comes responsibility. How many of you know that? I'm a so-and-so at work. Well, that means you have many responsibilities, duties, obligations, and functions to perform because of the title that you bear. Well, you see, my brother and sister, when it comes to spiritual things, the same thing is true. But many of us don't realize that. 
You know, you hear some say, well, you know, you just do it the way you want to do it, now do it the way I want to do it. Well, my brother and sister, if you're the foreman, you've got certain obligations, you've got certain responsibilities and duties, you've got certain things you have to perform because of your position. If you are the supervisor, well, then you've got certain things that you've got to do because of your title. Amen. Now, we know that's true in the natural, and, and you know, we live up to that in the natural, and if you don't, you get fired. That's all there is to it. Some get away with it, more than we like to speak of, but nevertheless, if things are done right, if a person is not competent in his position, of course, in the natural, you know, and reach a certain point, they're going to be fired because they are not fulfilling their responsibilities and duties. They are neglecting or giving little attention to their obligations and duties. Well, you see, the, thing, the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. But once again, we don't realize that. But we've got to come out of that darkness of apathy. We've got to become interested in what God would have us to do and concerned about fulfilling our functions, performing our functions, fulfilling our duties and responsibilities unto God. Notice in Matthew 23 and verse 23, what Jesus said. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted... Underline that word. Have omitted. And what does omit mean? You just leave it undone. You give it little attention. You have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Now, wait a minute. These guys are scams and Pharisees. These guys are doctors of the law. Intelligence, uh, you know, above all the others. Schooled. Learned men. But now notice this. Jesus said, yeah, you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin. You've taught that. But you have omitted. You've left undone. You have neglected the weightier matters of the law. You have become negligent concerning the weightier matters of the law. Which are they? What are they? Which are judgment, mercy, and faith. Now notice what he says. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. What's he saying? You got caught up in putting secondary things first and you've totally neglected to put the first things first and you've become guilty of the sin of omission. How many times in your prayer life did you say, Father, forgive me for sins of omission? In other words, failure to perform certain functions and duties and responsibilities that we have as Christians. I would say for the most part, believers are more guilty of this one sin than anything else. The sin of omission. And for that reason, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin if we walk in the light of what we have. Because, you see, omission 
primarily, I believe, is, is committed because of a lack of knowledge. And when a person doesn't have the light, he's not held accountable. And he, although he omits to do service for God, the blood of Jesus Christ will continually cleanse him from all that unrighteousness. There's a difference between omission and commission. When you sin on purpose, when you commit sin, you do it knowingly. You know it's wrong and you do it. But there are certain duties, functions, responsibilities, obligations that we have that we do not do, that we fail to do, failure to perform certain functions. And if we fail to perform those functions, it's called omission. Now, we can do it unintentionally if we don't have the light of it. But the problem with going to a place where the Word of God is spoken is the entrance of thy Word giveth light. Along with light comes responsibility and duty. And once you get a hold of the light, you are responsible to perform your duties and obligations unto the Lord. That's why some say, well, I wish I never heard that one. Oh, dear Lord, what am I going to do now? Well, you're going to shape up. That's what you're going to do. Just like me. We're all going to shape up. They omitted the weightier matters of the law. Now, Jesus didn't say you should, should have forgot all about tithing. He didn't say that. He said what you should have done was emphasized the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. I know I get criticized, and I usually get criticized a lot for faith. Faith. These are the weightier matters. Faith, mercy, and judgment. And they must be the emphasis of our ministry. But you see, you cannot leave the others undone. You can't neglect the others also. You should have emphasized these and also talked about those. Don't leave matters undone. Matters of importance. All he wanted them to realize was that they neglected they omitted. I'll be honest with you. Let's just, let's just go a step further. They disregarded. I'm just going to say it just flat out like it is. They disregarded. Over there where it says omitted, they dis make note of it. They disregarded. And disregard, you know what it means? We just said it. They neglected intentionally. You know why they neglected intentionally? So they can get the tithe. That's why. They made sure they taught that tithe, my brother and sister, so they could have their bellies full. They made sure they taught that tithe, my brother and sister, so they can have their needs met. You see why Jesus was so upset with these scribes and Pharisees? You purposely, intentionally ignored or neglected to teach the weightier matters of the law, placing the importance on the other matters of the law so that you can have your bellies fed and keep the people in darkness. You did it intentionally. You think Jesus would have called them scribes and Pharisees and then went on to speak the things that he did, called them hypocrites, or called them hypocrites and, and saying that they were blind leaders of the blind, tell them that uh, they were like whited sepulchers and uh, inside full of dead men's bones. So they were like serpents, scorpions. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a conversation with Jesus, I wouldn't want to hear him call me some of those things. Would you? He didn't do that because, you see, 
they were unaware of what they should have been doing. My brother and my sister, they were aware of it. They disregarded. And disregard means they neglected it on purpose, intentionally. And Jesus was furious. And I want you to notice here once again what he's saying because he spoke to my heart something that I have to share with you. And if you, you've not heard me say it before, I, I believe that with spiritual ears you're going to hear me say it today. He said, my people can be caught up in doing many things for me. So much that they neglect to do for me the things that I want them to do. They can be so caught up in doing so many things for me that they want to do that they actually end up leaving the things that I want them to do for me undone. Now, my brother and sister, if that doesn't step on your toes, I don't know what will. Because I've been on my face before God lately saying, and I'll be quite frank with you, I'll be totally honest with you, if you don't think that this is oh, a position of enormous responsibility, then I don't know what, what you're thinking. Because, you see, not only do, do we have the responsibility to rebuild and restore the internal function and purpose of an assembly, a New Testament assembly. And that takes time, my brother and sister. That takes an enormous amount of time because we're working with the heart attitudes and motives and desires of people. But also, he is saying, I want to set in order the external purpose of a New Testament church. And I've been before God and said, my Father God, I don't just want to fulfill the internal working of the church. I want to be faithful in fulfilling the external purpose of this assembly so that we don't leave that work undone. If we don't get before God and say, Father, show me where I am omitting to do what you want me to do. Show me where I am doing the things I want to do. I'm caught up in doing this and that and this. How many times have I said you're caught up in that work and it's a Christian work and it's a good endeavor. But you're caught up in this one, that one, this one, that one, this one. You stretch yourself out so far, you end up doing so much that you neglect to seek the face of God Himself for yourself to find out what it is, that one thing that He may want you to do, and you end up living your life here upon this earth, doing the things you want to do for God, and failing to accomplish or achieve that which He intended for you. That makes me stand before God in fear and much trembling. But may I boldly say this? It won't send you to hell. I, I think it's time that we begin to wake up and wise up and understand what sins will send a person to hell and what sins won't. See, the sin unto death is, is the sin against the Holy Ghost. We talk about that. But many thought it was chewing tobacco or smoking a cigarette. You may stink going to heaven. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. I'm just getting bold. That's all there is to it. But you see, my brother and sister, that's not going to send you to hell. And we have to wake up and realize, yes, we can omit. We can omit doing a lot of things that God would have us to do. That won't necessarily send you to hell. But what will it do? It's going to make life miserable down here upon this earth. Are you ready for this restoration, period or not? 
I said, are you ready for this coming restoration? How many of you read Brother Hagin's little book, The Coming Restoration? That he wrote some time ago. You read that book? You see, you know, you, you, when you're, I'm sitting in my office, you're so tied up and busy with all kinds of... I read, I read that little book and said, oh... That was, that was when it first came out. And I'm thinking, oh, restoration. We're talking about all this and all that and all this. And I said, oh, there's so much for us to learn. There's so much for us to know. So much for us to do. Lord, will I ever as a pastor learn all these things that's happening in the body of Christ and what you want me to share? You know, and as time goes on, I find myself before God by myself. Didn't even remember that book. Didn't even remember, uh, you know, about it, what it said, all that. And I find myself on my face before God and just saying, the coming restoration. And then I find myself teaching for eight months on restoring the temple. As directed by the Spirit of God. And I find myself saying certain things. Then I go back and look at that and I say, oh my, my goodness. God was saying this by His Spirit so, so many months or years ago. And now we see it being accomplished or achieved right here in our midst. Well, my brother and sister, are you ready for it? Because restoration means change in you and me. Did you know that? God's restoring you and me. The temple, the house of God to its proper purpose for being. That's you and me. Amen. And we've got to wake up to it. We can't neglect to, to flow with and follow the leading of the Spirit. Otherwise, we'll be just like they were. You're so caught up in doing all these things, yet you failed to accomplish and achieve the one thing I desired for you to achieve in your lifetime while you're here upon this earth. Does that make you tremble? It should. Why? Because you're not going to gain rewards for doing your own thing upon the earth except the Lord build the house. Let me give you just a quick example. When we decided that we had to, there's so, oh dear, see there's so much to say. Father God, let's redeem the time. When we knew we had to move from Midland up here on this hill, we didn't know it was up here on this hill right here at this particular spot that we're in right now, but we knew we had to you know, do something. We're breaking a fire code down there. We've got too many people in one building. That small building down there. We've got chairs up down the side and on the sides, sometimes up on a near platform. What are we going to do? Well, we went to two services. See, we didn't just jump out. You know, we see so many. I see so many today. So many today. You know, they get a few people come in the church, a little bit of growth. They want to buy acres and build big buildings that's going to put them in debt and do all this stuff. You know, they see what's happened. Some, I've had them. They come here. They see what's happened over here. And they see the building. And they just like that. And they, I'll be honest with you. I'll just be quite frank. May I be that way? They envy it. My brother and sister, my head's still... I, I'm still preaching to 35 people as far as I'm concerned. I've not changed preaching to 35, preaching to 400 or 500. It doesn't matter to me. This is not the work of man. This is anything I want done. And so when, when time came, we didn't just step out and say, we've got to do this. We just went to two services because that's what the Lord... I knew in my heart to do. Sure, it's tough. Sure, it's harder. But we went to two services for a year. Exactly a year. And as growth continued, then we sought the Lord. And we, we stepped out. And as we stepped out, we bought some property, you know, down the street, little, about a little mile, mile and a half down the street. Nine acres of property. And we still have that property. It's ours. We owned it. We had a tent meeting on it. I preached. I preached in that tent. And as I preached, it was like washing my feet with my socks on. That's, that's one way to say it. It didn't feel good. I didn't have it on the inside of my spirit. And you're thinking, now, Lord, where are we missing it? You want to try to force it. You say, now, Lord, where are we missing it? We, we don't have a room in the facility. We've checked out every means to, to build or to expand on this property. It was even beyond reason, being sensible. Remember we talked about the three lighthouses? 
the Word, the Spirit, the witness of the Spirit, and common sense. Common sense tells you you don't buy buildings so you can knock them down and pay $100,000 to do it so then you could build a little bit more room for a few more people. You just don't do that. So we tried to look at every possible way that we could stay in Midland, see. Expand. And the building itself was, you know, wasn't built that way that you can just expand so readily. So we begin to step out, you know. And even though we had the architect, we hadn't paid everything. Money paid. He drew up some beautiful blueprints and plans for, for an elaborate building down on nine acres down here. Elaborate building. And I'll be honest with you. Brother in the Lord. Now I want to show you the difference. Brother in the Lord of doing what you want to do and doing what God wants you to do. Because most Christians are like this. Bless, bless their hearts. But they're like this. Said, when the final tally came in, it was anywhere from 1.2 to $2 million to build that building down there. 1.2 to $2 million. It was an architect's dream to build that elaborate building down there. It would seat max 500 people. 1.2 to $2 million. He was excited about it. But you see, my brother and sister, we didn't get excited about it. He began to say, yeah, you're fa- you people got faith up here. I know you got faith. You got enough faith to do this. Mark this down and note this fact. Faith does not originate in our hearts. Faith does not come from our will. Faith originates in the heart of the Father God. And when God speaks His Word to His people, then and only then can faith be inside that person's heart to accomplish or achieve a purpose of God. For Him to say we have faith to build that building is showing spiritual ignorance. Because you see, faith does not work that way. Faith must have a written word or a spoken word from God. And if you don't have that, then you don't have faith. You're building a house by yourself. And the building may get built, but it'll take pleas. It'll take appeals. It'll take, we need money for this. We're going to close it down. The pews won't come in. This won't get done. My brother and my sister, when you hear that kind of talk, oh, I, don't, I better stop right there. Glory be to Jesus. When you hear that kind of talk, my brother and sister, beware. That's all I'm going to say. Beware. Because man can build the house if he wants to. We could have said, yes, sir, brother, we got faith. We are faith people. We are word people. We could build that building down there. And you know what? It would have been to our detriment. It would have been to the ruination of this fine assembly. Because by the time that building would have been built, I guarantee you what what they had in it, it would have been over $2 million to build that building. Who's going to get $2 million to build that building? You say, well, don't you have faith? You see, that's so wrong. Common sense. You understand that? You don't throw common sense wisdom out of the window and just say, we got blind faith in God. You listen to God. And God began to, to drop His plan within our spirits. We always, I always say, and you should be saying, my desire is to be filled with the knowledge of your will. Father, as I commit and entrust this work unto you, cause my thoughts to become agreeable to your will, that our plans, our plans may be established and succeed because they are yours. And this building came open. Do you see that? Brother Tony caught a hold. He drove by, caught a hold. And, and others. And slowly the witness began to come to our spirits. And God was dealing with us. And although we purchased that property down there, although we paid it for the architect and all that, see, 
We're stepping out to do something and see, we could miss it. Hey, we're human beings, my brother and sister. We could miss it. Who hasn't missed it? Throw the first stone. Amen. But excitement began to rise up within our hearts. And we knew that this was the will of God. This was the work of God. Do you know what, my brother and sister? When it came time that we knew what we had to do, we didn't have to make any plea for money. We don't have to, to, to do anything like that. Because when you're walking with God, according to His plan and purpose, He's building a house. He's got a bankroll. I said, He's building a house. He's got a lot of finances. But He's not obligated to cause them to come in your direction if you're stepping out there building your house. Now, let me just say it to you and show it to you just like this. We purchased this property right here and the buildings, both buildings and 12 acres of property, more than down there, for $300,000. Which would have cost $1.2 to $2 million to build a building on there, and the building was already here. For an additional $300,000, we have everything that you see. And, of course, since that time, we've been putting this in and that in and whatever. All, and now notice, so for $600,000, we have the capacity to seat over 900 people in this place. Whereas for $1.2 to $2 million, we had the capacity to seat 500 people. Amen. God build the house. Let God and His plan and His purpose be fulfilled. Do you see the difference? Does that just happen? Over? No, my brother, sister, you've got to seek His face. Yes, we could have made a terrible error. We could have made a big tragic mistake. But you'd be surprised how many say, oh, you have faith to do it. You don't have faith to do it if God's not in it. You got human faith to do it. You got faith in your own uh, intellect, abilities, and talents. Do you understand that? Same thing is true when it comes to the temple of God, the body of Christ. You are a part of the body of Christ. You don't belong to yourself. I don't belong to myself. I am here. I belong here because I am following the master's plan for my life. I'm not going to be out there doing what, what others want me to do. They said, come and pastor a church, start a church in Youngstown, Ohio. Start a church up in, in north of uh, Youngstown, Ohio. Up I'm there now. Do this over here. One will say, stay here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My brother and sister, they are not the Lord Jesus Christ. They are not the head of the church. I can't be out there doing what I want to do and neglecting what God wants me to do. You can't afford to do that. I can't afford to do that. Because if we do that, we are going to miss out on God's best here upon earth. Very quickly, we're going to have to close, but going back to, I thought we'd get further than this, but we're not. Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11, once again. We've got to get this in, quickly here. Notice verse 11 one, one more time. Very quickly, we've been called before the Lord. Second Chronicles 29, verse 11. You should have your marker there, so it's quick. My sons, be not now negligent. For the Lord hath chosen you to stand before Him. Notice, we stand before Him to serve Him, to minister to Him, and to burn incense or offer sacrifice. I want you to make note of this. First, we're going to put minister to Him. You write that first. We are first and foremost called to stand before God, to minister to God. Number one, and the Hebrew word there is sharath, S-H-A-R-A-T-H for minister. And it means to attend as a menial or worshiper. To attend as a menial or worshiper. A menial is just a, a, a servant, a humble servant. 
we are first and foremost called to stand before God for the purpose of attending as a humble servant and true worshiper. Say it that way. True worshiper. And let's, let's, let's give you the other two. Then to serve him, write them down, we'll give you the definitions. To serve, here's the reason why. Why are we to, to attend as a, as a menial or as a, a true worshiper? Number one, to serve him and to sacrifice. To serve and to sacrifice. To serve means to comply with his commands and demands. To comply with his commands and demands. And secondly, to sacrifice. You need to write this down. It means destruction or surrender of something for something else. It means destruction or the surrender of something for something else. We are called to stand before God to attend as a true worshiper and as a humble servant. To serve Him means to comply with His commands and demands. To worship Him or to sacrifice unto Him, to offer sacrifice, is true worship. And it means to offer our bodies, our souls, our lives unto Him through destruction and surrender. We mortify the deeds of our members upon the earth. We don't give them over to sin like the willful offender. We offer the sacrifice of our bodies and of our minds unto Him so that we may truly worship Him in spirit and in truth with our lives. Now, I wish we had about another hour. Because, my brother and sister, this is where neglect comes in. Be not negligent. Do you see the neglector? He neglects to do this. Be not negligent. Failure to perform a certain function or a duty. We've been called to stand before Him, to minister to Him, to attend as a menial, to attend as a worshiper. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.